Today on the Relationship Renovation Podcast, we explore a really important topic, and that is service in the military and how it affects individuals and the couple. We are really lucky to have Elaine Maher, who spent almost two decades as a civilian working in the Army, helping couples, helping individuals deal with how deployment, how possibly PTSD, how all the stresses of that career can have an effect on them. And we really know it's important subject matter, so please stick with us. Hello, all, and welcome to the Relationship Renovation Podcast. I'm Tara Kerwin. And my name is EJ Kerwin, and we want to jump right in because the topic we're going to hit today is something that is super compelling. And we're lucky enough in multiple ways, actually, to have a guest on our show, but also a new clinician at our facility and a person who brings a breadth of knowledge and insight into maybe an area that that I know Tara and I don't necessarily have and and a, a lot of clinicians don't. So Elaine Maher, she is an LCSW. And if you don't know what that is out there, that's a licensed clinical social worker. And she has a background having worked in the army as a civilian for quite some time earlier in her career. And so welcome, Elaine, and thank you for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you bet. I mean, can you just first tell us a little bit about yourself, about your career, about sort of how you came up? Well, I started uh, my career as a child welfare social worker in Hawaii and never anticipated the dramatic career shift to becoming an Army civilian social worker. But that happened rather quickly one day when a flyer came in the mail advertising, do you want to work for the Army and see families? And I thought, well, I work with families, so I will apply. Um, as it turned out, I was the only applicant oh on the island, and it was a big career switch because I knew nothing of what I was getting myself into. Can I uh, just ask, how old were you at that time? I was 46. Wow. And how long had you been a therapist at that point? At that point, I had a late start, so really only about three, four years. Okay. Yeah. I had a former career in physical therapy and made the switch. I'm imagining you right now opening up that mailbox, seeing that you want to be in the Army. <laughs> And at 46, Elaine's like, absolutely, let's do this. Let's have a massive career <laughs> shift. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's our topic today, right, is is that you thought it would be a, an interesting idea for us to discuss how um, individuals who are in the armed services, the effects that that has on their, on their relationship. I mean, wh- what do you think? Like, what's a good way for us to begin this conversation? I think the conversation would begin with the best of intentions on on everybody's behalf. A young family is going to have a great career. They're going to be able to raise their kid. They're going to get to see the world. And many did not anticipate being deployed. Many did not anticipate the transfers were going to be quite so challenging. Mm -hmm. And so with the best of intentions, couples join. They love each other. And then real life hits with the the time constraints that the military puts on a a young soldier, the time away, even a deployment that's supposed to take 12 months ends up taking 15 to 18 months when you factor in training, extensions. Mm -hmm. So the challenges are are great. I have goosebumps while you're talking because we've worked with a lot of couples with military background. You know, they come in, you know, 10, 15 years into it after having kids and 
it's exactly what you said. They go in with the best of intentions and we're going to support each other, but they have no idea just how stressful that transition or even time away will be. And they come in feeling broken, like, wow, everything we thought we could handle, we couldn't. And so I just love that we're going to be doing this topic because there are a lot of couples out there who struggle when one partner or maybe even both are in the military. Correct. And how to manage and talk about those transitions and cope with them instead of waiting until it's too late. So what was the entry point that you most often noticed when a couple would come in? Would it be the couple coming in to see you? Would it be like one individual from the couple? Like, like what did you notice? Well, originally it was the spouses that were finding themselves alone on an island, for example, on Oahu in a pineapple field, and their husband or their partner just deployed, and suddenly they're very alone. So the entry point was usually by the partner feeling depressed and lonely. And after the return, you know, post-redeployment, the first month would be idyllic. They were so happy to be together again. And then the reality would set in. Um, The sleepless nights, the disillusionment, that return home was going to be easy with a, with children you haven't seen for a year, maybe a year and a half, a wife or husband who's been alone, forced to cope on their own, gaining independence, mm. and sleepless nights and all the impact that a deployment has causing anger, usually anger, mm-hmm. and isolation, and a lack of ability to communicate that to the partner because mostly because they didn't want to upset them with what had happened. Yeah. Well, and then also on the flip end, the person who was deployed coming home with their own experiences of, we have no idea. We know there's a lot of PTSD and yeah. trauma that comes in that. Yeah. What were the dynamics that you, that you most often noted in, in couples that they were struggling with? Frequently, the dynamic, unfortunately, was something that got them in trouble. So an abusive incident, maybe too much drinking, Mm. the cops being called, or if they were on base, you know, the military police coming. And that was my entry point often because I was with family advocacy. Some would seek prevention, but frequently, unfortunately, they were guided in, (laughs) sometimes against even what they wanted to come in to to talk about. Yeah. And I think that parallels what we see. You know, we don't necessarily see couples coming in as a result of uh, you know, law enforcement, but we see that there's been some crisis that's been happening. There's like been like a really bad argument or you know, there's been something that compels them to get in because it, they're forced on some level to, to deal with it. I would say in the history of my work with couples, because I've been doing this for 20 years, that a lot of times when I've seen this, it's infidelity too, with, um, because, you know, one partner's away and they need emotional, physical needs met. And so that is the majority for me has been infidelity with military couple. That's very true on both ends. It was, it was a frequent occurrence that people would be talking to old people that they knew they were lonely. And that would result, unfortunately, though, often in a verbal conflict or something drawing attention to them. If it couldn't be handled, you know, with the anger issues, which were prevalent upon redeployment, that would just spark all kinds of um, behaviors that they were not accustomed to dealing with. Yeah, and and probably didn't have the tools to sort through in a healthy way. 
Well, and when, again, I don't know this, but when you're a soldier in the armed forces, like you are taught to like protect yourself from vulnerable emotions, like Mm -hmm. compartmentalize. And so even imagine like, you know, you go home and your partner's struggling and the person that was in deployment has been able to compartmentalize a lot of their feelings that it's just, I mean, there's just so many complications that that dynamic brings in. That's such an excellent point. You know, while on deployment, the frequent comment I would hear from the soldier would be, it was easier to be there Mm -hmm. than it was to come home. And often they would say, I would rather be back there, which is an incredibly hard thing to understand, especially knowing what they had gone through. The partner can't understand that. I've had a few couples who, who one member was armed forces and they actually volunteered or, or re-enlisted or went and did that and didn't tell their partner. Yeah, I, I heard many of those stories. The re-enlistment was a big one where there was a bonus usually involved and they had good intentions, but they also knew there was going to be a fight. And sometimes they really didn't have too many choices. And it was hard to explain that to the partner. Yeah. Yeah. And then the whole, you know, it's interesting how things kind of cluster together. The inability to discuss complicated things with your partner in a healthy way, along with not necessarily feeling comfortable in, a, in the civilian life. You know, all those things kind of layer together into, I think, both people feeling really isolated from one another. Yes. And let me add this because it just, there's so much here. See how complex this is. But When we do get couples here and one is in the military, they're like, they make sure that these records are confidential, that no one can have access to it because there's such a shame around, I don't want anyone to know that if I'm going to do couples therapy or therapy, like I don't want the military to know. I'm afraid I'll get kicked out. I'm afraid. That's a very common expression. And sometimes the only problem with that is they couldn't find anybody who would service them this, the way that... You're talking like as far as a mental health professional. Yes, the, it wasn't so easy. They would have to um, seek services in ways that were very difficult for them. Mm-hmm. But they often did say that and they would go to the that extreme. Yeah, I th- I, and I think the other, just to generalize this to people out there who might not be in the you know Army, Navy, Air Force, but... Marines. Marines, yes, Sorry, but it, but this also like I've seen this like what we're talking about here really generalizes to law enforcement, yep. you know, and firemen and EMTs and that that a lot of these things these dynamics are very similar. Yes, they are. They are very very similar. Not to mention repetitive stress on the body, so the adrenaline system gets kicked up whenever you're in a high intensity job, and that constant stress takes a toll. Usually it starts with um, irritability, insomnia, and then progresses to isolation. And so before the isolation even occurs, there's usually a lot of conflicts in the relationship, Mm -hmm. which then maybe would actually lead to infidelity or other bad choices, maybe excessive um, substance abuse use. And then parenting issues come up along that. So then let's start talking about how you how you worked with these people. I mean, what what did you notice was helpful um, when you were working with them? Well, as we know with anger management, it's really about communication. Mm. So when they understand that they can feel better by communicating, when they get the chance to say things in a safe way, 
that helped a lot, e even from the first session. Mm -hmm. The hope was very important. And also then the education to help the partner understand the military, because they may have been doing this with their soldier partner for years, but they never were told what to expect. So we would do a lot of education, just bringing everything out in the open, normalizing conversations, validating the right to be angry, and trying to put the pieces back together. I've heard partners say, I wish someone would have like been really honest and told me like what I was signing up for. I really had no idea. Like people will just say it's okay, like that no one really could talk about what really happens. So what would you say if you're saying like one of the first things was some psychoeducation, some some normalization of their struggles, what were some primary things that you helped them understand they weren't alone in this, this is common? Actually, exactly what you just said. They were surprised to learn how common this was. They really believed that other people looked happy. They would see see them out, you know out and around, having a good time, and that they were somehow doing something wrong. When they realized that they were not alone, that this was a very common issue, and that, that it could be managed, they, they did feel better right away. Yeah, because then it like it almost like creates space, right? Because when you're not only suffering, but then you think you're the only one that's suffering in this way, you internally start to feel very boxed in and don't feel like you have a lot of choices. Correct, exactly that. Once there was hope given, once yeah. there was an avenue that a plan, we're going to help you. And in a few sessions, we're going to get this going very well. Mm. Surprising to me that it went very well. We would offer multiple services, individual counseling groups, as much as we could offer them. Yeah. Say more about that. When it started going well, it just went well. Yeah, it, it would go well. The The ability to understand what was happening with post-deployment reactions mm. was most often needed to be heard by the soldier. They did not understand that anger was going to be a problem because they thought they were going to be so happy coming home. Yeah, And so the education mostly on what happened to their bodies, what the stresses were, and then gradually letting some of them know they might have some trauma reactions and we would have to educate them on what those would look like and look out for. I'm just having this visual of like going from this feeling really alone and scared and thinking you're uniquely broken to going into this safe place where it's like, oh, so many people struggle with this and we're going to wrap you up in a little blanket and we're going to make sure that you're okay and that that outside support is so important. That's on uh, the best case scenarios. Right. But I, I want to bring up what often did happen, which was um, they ignored the problem. They didn't seek help. They weren't brought into any sort of need to seek help. And now we might fast forward out of the military, maybe divorced, maybe remarried, and they never got the counseling that they um, could have benefited from. So that was a good case scenario when yeah. they got that support. Yeah. Do you think that there's any sort of shift going on in, in the armed forces, in you know, the therapeutic community around like people seeing it as an option before it's like, they have no choice, like, you know, they have court-ordered treatment or, or whatever. I saw a big shift from when I started in, you know, late 2003. Actually, around 2010, 
I started seeing the most important shift that surprisingly there would be high ranking individuals in the group along with enlisted. Mm. And that was unheard of initially. There would be high ranking individuals sitting in the waiting room knowing that they were going to be seen. Mm -hmm. And yet it became so important that they get the help because then they became the role model. And I was really grateful to start seeing that. Yeah, like top down, that that if the if yeah. the top of the pyramid is engaging in this process and seeing that it's actually okay, and not just okay, but actually beneficial, there's a higher likelihood like that'll spread out in many ways. Right? You know, everywhere from like very high, like in the policy, but then also just down to like a personal relationship with somebody who's enlisted, saying like, hey, look, I I know this might be helpful for you. That's correct. When we could educate. During deployments, the partners left behind with many group offerings, you know, flyers that would go out, whatever, uh, to let them know that return from deployment was going to take a joint effort. Mm -hmm. they, they had a role in that. So I think this is a great entry point then for an aspect of this conversation that, that we sort of touched on before we, we began, which is that, that there's a balance between the individual who's in the service and treating individual issues that they're, that they're dealing with, but then also the treatment of a, supporting a couple. Correct. And how those two things overlap, stumble on each other. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, that's an excellent point. We would have many servicemen come in and they would be seeking treatment for the trauma. They would be coming in self-referred often, saying, I, I need help. I need to start sleeping again. I need to stop feeling so upset. I don't know what's wrong. And we would start a trauma treatment with all the best treatment tools, mm -hmm. and they would be several sessions in. And most of the time, those treatments were circumvented by the desire and the, the, the need to talk about their girlfriend problems, their marital problems, mm -hmm. because that was really what was the most upsetting to them, is what was happening in that moment. They didn't realize that they were prompting that conflict. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can remember one couple specifically we worked we worked with where it was exactly that. Where like we were working with them as a couple, you know, at the same time that he was in. I think it was called the Wounded Warrior Program. Correct. Yeah. And he was, you know, trying to deal with this like serious physical, emotional trauma that yeah. he'd been going through for a long time, but yet his relationship, their relationship was so unstable and everything was just like muddied and you know intermingled with one another. And it made it really, it made both sides of that treatment like extremely difficult. Yes, it's, it's a challenge which to do first and which takes yeah, priority. Exactly. The, they will be helped greatly by the relief of some of the trauma symptoms. And yet, they couldn't focus typically until they had some sort of assurance that they could cope with their daily relationship issue. In a good case scenario, both counseling sessions are going on in the same week. That's not always possible, but yeah. that would be the best case. Yeah, that kind of feeds into, I forget where, this is like, I remember from like grad school or something like around how, you know, growth happens when you're in a safe environment and then you work towards your edge. But if you don't have that safe environment, getting towards your edge is impossible, you know? So 
what would you say are the things if you know a couple's out there and they're really listening to this or one member is listening to it and they're hearing like yeah this is something i really relate to what would be the messages that you would you would tell to that individual when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get everything for your next roofing project at Menards. Your roof is the first line of defense against the elements. Owens Corning Shingles are designed to offer long-lasting performance while providing ultimate protection. They have a limited lifetime warranty and up to a 130-mile-per-hour wind warranty. Choose from over 40 options designed to protect your home for years to come. Say big on Shingles at Menards. And don't forget to check out our weekly ad on Menards.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. I think primarily know that they are not alone, that they really can have these symptoms get resolved. And to know that treatments can take time, however, even from the first session, just knowing that there's ways to learn how to cope with it is helpful. Well, I was going to say too, a lot of what you've been talking about, it's people come in in this powerless place, which feels horrible. But when they get the services, whether it's individual or couples or group, there's this sense of empowerment. There's this sense of hope and that that's everything. I would agree. The sense of hope and knowing that somebody is going to help yeah. them through it does change everything. They can come in and feel very wounded in the beginning and leave with a smile and a plan. For me, what I'm really taking from this is just the psychoeducation piece. Because again, I think a lot of couples go in like, we love each other, everything's going to be fine. And they just don't have the skills or education to know all the different complexities of things that can happen when you are in a military relationship. And so that psychoeducation piece, like just so people know to like look out for it, like this could happen. PTSD could happen, right? Insomnia can happen. Unrealistic expectations can happen and we don't talk about them. You know, physical, emotional needs going unmet, that can happen. Exactly. And also we didn't mention or I didn't mention grief, unrecognized grief. There's disillusionment mm. about what you thought it was going to be like when you're deployed and what the whole picture was going to look like. And there's a, a certain amount of grief that does present itself as anger mm -hmm. and unrecognized sadness, 
which would not be thought of, not to mention if they had lost other service people that they knew. Do you think if everyone knew this before going into the military, they'd be like, you know, I don't really want to prepare for all of that stuff. (laughs) Unfortunately, that might be true. But I, I actually would after seeing this for so many years, I think the the good intentions outweigh the fear because, you know, it, it's got to be mentioned that they sign up for this because they really want to be there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something that I've seen that's like so, you know, complex and hard to, hard for people to make sense that are in that position of the fact that like they go in often with the, with such incredible intentions Mm-hmm. And then somewhere along the lines, that gets really scrambled, you know, for a variety of reasons, right? Correct. Yeah. And and none of them were anticipated. Just a transfer alone from one duty station to another can be overwhelming, especially if you liked where you just were. So there's there's many opportunities for conflict and to build up resentments. And those resentments grow and continue to promote isolation and misunderstandings just over little things. Well, so just for a second, can we flip it over to the side of the non-military member? What did you notice for those individuals? Basically a lack of understanding that there was going to be an intensive time commitment, even when they return, that this often would go late into the night And the partner would sometimes be waiting all day, Mm -hmm. cooking meals, doing things that they would know would make the relationship feel better and and unable to complete that. Yes. And the dynamic when your partner's coming home from deployment and the spouse or whatever has been taking care of the household, has been taking care of the kids, and they want that partner to come in and just like take over because maybe they're burnt, maybe they have some resentment and then that doesn't happen. Again, that's another unrealistic expectation, but they don't know how to talk about it. So then that resentment kind of builds and like, I've been doing this for nine months and you've been away and da da da. I mean, I've just, I've encountered that a lot with couples. Yeah, I think you nailed it on that one. That's exactly what happens. But the misunderstanding is often that the returning service member doesn't feel like they're welcome. They feel out of place. Even if there weren't children involved, they just know that life had gone on without them. Mm-hmm. And they almost need to be reinvited back into lives. Well, and how important would that be if there was training around the transition home? What to do that first week, that first day? How do you guys go in it together where you support each other and know like, you know, to not let that resentment or confusion or unrealistic expectations take over. Why is it their training? There often was. However, um, it was hard to reach the intended audience. I see. Yeah, it was hard to reach them. Well, and it's, it's literally every single person, every single couple that needs it on some level. But the ones who oftentimes get the treatment are just the ones who get to such a acute state correct that it's like they have yeah. to you know yeah. the system isn't built yeah. to take care of absolutely everyone's needs correct well and i can't tell you how many times we've tried to create like premarital programs and it just doesn't work because people are not in crisis when they're about to get married yeah. and i'm like but you don't understand doing that preventative work is so important but you know it, we're just humans we wait for a crisis well i think also like you sort of like brought us into that next phase of like, so we spoke about 
psychoeducation, normalization at the front end of mm-hmm. like of like helping people understand they're not alone, that there's not just something wrong with them, that this is a dynamic that affects a huge population of people. So once they feel that, okay, this is normal, then the next thing is getting them out of that feeling of powerlessness and into feeling empowered and that they can actually change. That's a great point. I think the limitations with that would be probably time factors. So, you know, you could leave a session feeling very empowered, but we have to teach them how to cope Mm. when real life hits again. And I think that's what keeps happening regardless of being a, a veteran or currently in the military is life takes over and you have to know how to cope with what's going on and know how to rekindle that sense of hope. And so I'm going to recommend counseling or some sort of an education or support so that you can continue to, you know, keep that hope being stoked. Yeah. And I we see this, you know, th- this is a dynamic that happens with sort of every couple or every individual in counseling is that there's like this duality that's happening is that we're we're helping them sort out the past understand it better, heal from it, process it. While meanwhile, there's every day more stressors and more complications. And and in this case, like they're adjusting to like coming back from a deployment and reintegrating, but yet they're looking at like, well, in three months, I'm out of here again, you know? And, and so it's a real complex thing that this individual and that their clinician is helping them do is sort out the past, but also deal with what's happening now. I I love that point. That was exactly what happened. So what soldiers would do, even sometimes the family members, they would detach, seek more independence, start Mm -hmm. to protect themselves emotionally. And unfortunately, that detachment would happen early on. And then if we talk about the reality, which was multiple deployments, I mean, within a very short few years, if I was working with the family, I was often sitting there with them through three or four deployments wow. where we were repeating this cycle over and over again. And that, that created a whole new stress that none of us as clinicians were prepared for. We, <laughs> we knew how to handle maybe one with the return, yeah. but not the preparation, as you said, for the next one. Yeah. I think we've done a really good job of, of talking about what the struggles are and the importance of, of seeking help and treating both the, the suffering that's a result of maybe PTSD, but also sorting out how to be connected and work with relationship issues. So then when things went well, when, when you had a, an individual or a couple that you worked with over a period of time, mm. what did it look like when couples and individuals did the work? That's a great question. Um, What it looked like was the ability to make spontaneous plans and stick with them. Simple things like that, to go and get out of the home and to put down the game and the phone. So I'm being really practical Mm -hmm. here. That's how it would be apparent. And the communication would lead to greater physical affection, which is what they both were craving in the first place, was connectiveness. But it would look like the ability to say, let's take a little trip together. Uh, Let's go to the store together versus I'll stay here and Mm -hmm. you go. Um, Let's take a walk together. Let's go to a movie. 
And so I, I just wanted to bring it to its most simple form. Absolutely. Forms. I love that. And it would look better, of course, after several months of practice that they would gain and retrust each other, especially if there was infidelity or and or emotional connections outside the relationship. They would just trust their partner again. Yeah. They would trust that they were telling them the truth. They wouldn't need to keep looking at the phone and, mm -hmm. and questioning and doing all those behaviors that keep the resentment going. They were building emotional safety. Yeah. Yes. The number one thing we do here at Relationship Renovation. Yeah. It's the best thing ever. What would you see around the evolution of expressions of anger? Because that, that's a big one that we see, right? Is like conflict getting heightened and anger coming out. Like how would, how would that change? The anger would be, while it might have been directed inward, you know, initially by some isolation, when the couple would need to engage more, it would look like blame, just attacks and blame going both ways because they no longer could function. They couldn't have a conversation. So the anger would continually be rekindled, so to speak, yeah. every day, new, new reasons to be upset, you know, building evidence, so to speak, in your head that, that this is not you. And that's where the education came in, that we would realize that both could benefit from seeking counseling at some point also to understand why they were feeling their internal pressure. Yeah, and how would you see that anger shift? It would shift by recognition that they may need to feel sad. Uh, I'm going to be very honest about that. Mm -hmm. That That's what we want to avoid as humans. We don't like mm -hmm. sadness or grief. And anger is just the perfect mm -hmm. behavior to keep us from feeling sad or afraid. So the counseling helps people to recognize that that sadness is there, that that fear can be normalized. Yeah. I think that is like such yeah. an incredibly, incredibly important point for everyone yes. out there. Because the way I describe it to clients is like, and this is sort of my perception developed upon, you know, reading and working with people is that anger is a motive. It's not necessarily an emotion. And that if people can get an understanding of what lies underneath the anger, and then find a way to express it, it does a couple things. I mean, one it becomes hearable, right? It becomes something that it's connectable, it's vulnerable, their partner actually can lean into it. And then it allows for resolution, right? Because if you're always expressing through anger, you're not really getting to what needs to be expressed. You're not really getting to what needs to be processed. But yet you think like when I'm angry with someone, you think like, I'm getting it out but you're not, you're just sort of like spinning your wheels. Does that, does that make it. sense? Yes. Oh yeah, that makes sense. The problem with anger is addictive and it feels good. Yes. And to talk people out of anger in a sense, they don't really want to give it up because it's been a very effective tool. Mm -hmm. It takes a little patience and understanding in therapy to understand that the way out of anger is to learn to express and understand your feelings. Darn it anyway. I know. <laughs> yeah. It was so funny. I was doing a old story, new story with an individual client yesterday. And she was like, I was like, okay, so what were the like feelings that you were coming in with? And she's like, anger, frustration, like just right. All of the angry, irritated, aggressive. And I was like, okay, what's, what was under those? Because she couldn't identify anything 
under that until we had like five, six months of therapy. And she started to like, her voice started to crackle and, and under that was massive grief, massive grief. But she wasn't able to get to that before she started therapy. And then five months in, she is just like, it was grief. It was loneliness. It was fear. It was insecurity. And it was just like, she feels so free that she can identify now what was under all of that anger. And it's true. Anger is projected outward. So we don't have to feel it internally because who wants to stay and feel grief? No, thanks. So much easier to be angry. And in the context of an individual in the service, everything they've been programmed is like avoid being vulnerable, you know, like literally avoid being vulnerable because then it puts your life at risk. And then, yeah. and then what we're saying is like, in order to actually be safe in your relationship, you have to do everything that you were trained not to do. That's correct. And, and they often the expression would be, but I don't know how to do it because I, I don't know myself anymore. I don't know what mm. I feel like anymore because I've just uh, kept busy, just kept moving, just kept doing what my job was. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that this is a great topic and it, it's, it's important because there's so many people who are in law enforcement, who are in the service, and they need to know that they're not alone and that there are success stories and that there's a way through it. But again, these are like, some of these are like very just universal mm -hmm. messages that are important for everybody that, that we all are biologically created to survive. And those survival instincts we have oftentimes don't work well in our relationship. I think that point of the, the universal commonality that we have as humans is, is a really important way to to normalize and to have people feel comfortable coming into counseling regardless of what their issue is. Uh, there's many forms of trauma. There's many ways that this can present itself and not be known to you, that you have actually some trauma history. You might have minimized it. You may have also have some survivor's guilt, like it didn't happen to me. I wasn't injured. Mm -hmm. So why should I be the one coming in and seeking therapy when so many others are worse off? I would like to stress that anything that brings a disturbance to how your daily functioning is, is reason enough to take it seriously, to, to recognize that you deserve to get that support. And that oftentimes our own personal suffering creates major disruptions in our relationship. We come in to relationship counseling thinking the relationship's broke, but in reality, it's that all humans suffer. And so it makes sense that then two people with different types of suffering would then have a hard time navigating life together. Correct. All the complexities that come along yeah. with it. And if we can just recognize that and enter into a more empathetic state with one another, mm -hmm. realize we're not alone, we're not uniquely broken, that then our relationship, we can create stability, safety within our relationship. And then we, as both individuals, can heal and you know get better at life and become our best selves together. I mean that that's our whole goal here. So if you're listening and you have if you're struggling, if you have a friend, if you have a family member, there is support. There is support that therapy is very helpful in helping couples individuals navigate this type of stress. Yeah. 
Well, thank you, Elaine. This has been really, uh, you know, just a very thoughtful, and you know, you've shared a lot of insight into a, a really important population within our community that struggles. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed being able to speak on this. Yeah. So openly too. Yeah. And I want to say too, there's going to be like three thank yous. Thank you for being a beautiful human. Thank you for all of your service in the military and with the individuals and the couples that you have done amazing work with. And then thank you for being here. We're so grateful that you are a part of our team and that you come with this amazing knowledge and beautiful heart and amazing spirit. So thank you. Oh, thank you. I'm glad I'm here. I'm really glad to be here. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, we just want to, as always, thank you for being a part of our community who's who's listening to this show. You know, we've just gotten great feedback over the months about just how people are, you know, hearing this and relating to subject matter. We really appreciate when you when you tell us topics you want us to explore. We love it when you hear a show and you know it would be, you know, something that would be really useful for one of your friends, family members to hear. So please pass us along. Our show today really spoke to the importance of wherever you are knowing that there's help out there, you know, knowing that, that there are resources out there that can support you in a struggle that lots of people are having and that you're not alone. So, um, yeah, we, we just, we just care about this community. We know how much the impact of having a healthy relationship has on the individual, has on kids, has on work, has on community. And we just appreciate the fact that you guys are all on this journey with us. Thank you so much. And as always, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. You deserve amazing freedom and love. Bye-bye. Me and you just singing on the train. Me and you listening to the rain. Me and you, we are the same. Me and you have all the fame we need. Indeed, you and me are we. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.